This is Dispatches from the Frontline, readings from the diary of Sister Nan Ray, who served for four grueling years on the frontline of the battlefields of World War I, read by Geraldine Cook Daphna. Nineteen fourteen, 30th of September, Wednesday. On my way to breakfast, I met the car at the gate and its driver awaiting orders and nurses. Said I could not go as it was not my turn. Found matron and reported. Train expected. No day nurses allowed off duty. Night sisters to have the car. So B and I went off like ladies of leisure immediately after breakfast. Mac is lying low with an attack of food poisoning again. Had a glorious drive through open country to the charming watering place Le Croisic, and then home again via La Bolle. Part of the way led along the beautiful boulevard, sparkling water on our right, and passed through lovely pine woods. We were objects of interest and took all the salutes with a smiling dignity suited to the occasion bought pâtisserie and confiture, and enjoyed ourselves thoroughly. Mac was not well enough to come on duty, but it did not matter as we had so few patients. B took over the annex and I the house. I have only seven officers. One is a youth whose right leg was so shattered by a shell that it was necessary to amputate, above the knee. Another has a fractured thigh, and another is said to have been hurled 30 feet into the air by the explosion of a shell, and he landed again on his heels. Result, two fractured heels, spinal concussion and cursing. It is just 4am and they are all asleep, my one orderly included. I have written home and now feel terribly sleepy. Result of having too little work to do. There is great talk of the base being moved north. To Le Havre, probably. Lady Dudley has just returned from a trip north, where she has tried to get permission from the authorities for moving our Australian voluntary hospital. Seems to be somewhat hopeless and uphill work. On D, the Royal Army Medical Corps people are jealous of us and rather angry. They have not all been busy, while I'm told we have had over 650 patients during these three weeks in Saint-Nazaire. You see, we have done some work. 1st of October, Thursday. Another lovely morning and still another motor drive. This time the car had been commandeered by Gabrielle and Bowie, the only day sisters off duty this a.m., and they insisted upon B and me joining them. We did the same trip as we did yesterday, but this time had half an hour's walk along the beautiful white sandy beach at Le Croisic. On duty at 9pm. Mac, still hors de combat, so I took over the house. The amputation boy has secondary hemorrhage, so I spent a very anxious night. They are calling me the hemorrhage specialist. This is my third case lately. Somehow I always seem to be on the spot. 2nd of October, Friday. Very sleepy and tired this morning. So B and I went to bed directly after breakfast at 10.30. At our hostel again. 
It has been fixed up, and one of our camp water carts brings us up our water supply. Mrs. Cyril Ward has taken over the household management, and we have a cook and a maid of all works. We wonder what will happen now. Of course, neither of them can speak a word of English. We were called at 3.45pm, and with Gabrielle were the guests of Colonel Horne and Captain Study at the Australian Voluntary Hospital Camp. They have been doing very fine work there. The camp is about half a mile from here, and at one time they had about 90 patients, all under canvas, of course. The medical students are the nurses, and half of the medical staff is there. Our staff changed around last Sunday. Those medical officers who had been at the camp came down here, and those who had been here went to the camp. It is a most interesting place. All the hospital tents have green flies, and are most cool, comfy and roomy. This camp is the AVH headquarters. Our officer in command, Colonel Eames, lives there. The stores are kept there, also the ambulances, horses, etc. It is beautifully laid out and well kept. We had tea in the officers' mess and then inspected. I am on duty in the house again tonight, as Mac is not yet fit. They have promised me a night off tomorrow. About ten new patients arrived at the annex today, and six here. One of the new ones, I was amazed to find, was one of our fellow passengers on the Otway. A medical case. My amputation boy is very bad tonight. Had another operation today. Ever since 11 o'clock, he has been talking sensible nonsense. It is 4am. He looks quite rational and speaks calmly with wide open eyes, but he says the most extraordinary things and jumps from one subject to another with such lightning rapidity and apropos of nothing that I felt like Alice in Wonderland at the Mad Tea Party. I am writing this in snatches to keep myself awake and sane. Says the boy. I'd like to know the system they work on and I really must go and draw my rations. I reply. It's all right, old man. I've drawn them for you. Oh, thanks very much. You know, it's no use being on that side of the dog or whatever animal it is. Sister, do you know what happened to that cake they killed the crown prince with? You know the orderly had it this afternoon? You see, the great trouble is that now none of the doctors have a badge on their sleeve, you can't tell their rank. It's so stupid. You did put that cork in, didn't you, sister? And so it goes on. Just next to me, while at intervals I answer him as well as I can. Captain Study told me this afternoon that he may quite possibly cross over to London in a day or two. Said he'd take any letters I'd like to send, so I am seriously thinking of tearing out these diary leaves and sending them to the family. The latest report is that we are to leave here on Tuesday. This afternoon the men were ordered to begin packing. However, another rumour tonight tells of 160 new patients arriving tomorrow. So... 3rd of October, Saturday. Off-duty 9am, changed into outdoor uniform before going to the hostel for breakfast. And at 10 o'clock, Gabrielle and I set out on our 
first day off duty together. Caught a bateau to the Pierre Marie for Mandan. Just a 15 minute run. Landed there. A sleepy little stopping place, about two cafes and a diminutive station. C'est Mandan. <laughs> Had some coffee, then mounted a shaky old black coach and drove to saint brevin la pin about five miles distant. It is a very charming, quiet little village on the seacoast. And here we found soft white sand, so enticing that we just had to lie down on it, for a little while only. However, the sunshine was so warm and delicious and the whole place so peaceful that I promptly fell asleep. I was awakened by Gabrielle's voice calling to me and I saw standing by us a wee fat baby boy of about three to four years, with big blue eyes and solemn face. Clutched firmly in either hand were tight little nosegays. He presented one to each of us, and then he saluted. Of course, we kissed him on both cheeks, but he preserved his almost embarrassing calm and solemnly departed. He was so adorable, but he would not stay and play. Later, we saw him again with his mother, whom we thanked had an excellent luncheon and received another bouquet from our little waitress with whom I had quite a chat in my best French. Then we walked around the village, the sinusure of all eyes. Of course, they had never before seen beings dressed like us, les infirmières anglaises. The whole population came out to see us and when we passed a quaint cottage, two more women presented us with flowers. Their invitation to enter was so pressing that we simply could not refuse to do so. It was a one-room house, certainly a large room, and contained, among other things, three huge, heavily draped beds, a great fireplace, three large oak cupboards, and the roof was supported with heavy oaken beams. It really was a very quaint and fascinating place. We were shown the vineyards beyond, and were given grapes to eat in the train. After many compliments on both sides, we were able to at last depart. Boarded the train, a quaint little puffing billy. It took us one and a half hours to get to Pornic, through the most lovely pine forest and vineyards, just turning golden and red. Pornic, which lies on a little promontory, is a very delightful place. We had a splendid hour there. Before leaving, we decided to have some tea, and set ourselves down at a little table on the pavement outside the Continental Hotel, ordering it tray four as experience had proved was necessary. We were about halfway through our meal when I noticed goings-on in the house opposite. Further investigations of a carefully veiled kind showed us a coffin on trestles covered with bead wreaths and two lighted candles standing across the wide open doorway of a grocer's shop directly opposite. The street was quite narrow. We nearly collapsed, felt we must leave our tea. It seemed awful to be sitting there having a tea party in the middle of the obsequies, as it were. Just then, two priests and altar boys in vestments and some nuns arrived and the procession was formed and started off without more ado followed by dozens of black-veiled widows. We departed as quickly as we could. 
Polnik is very old and very quaint. Here, as in all these villages, the curious headgear of the women is seen, and most people wear sabots, clogs. These places always remind me of musical comedy scenes. It was a glorious evening, and our train journey to Monda and then the little boat trip in the moonlight were altogether charming. Had dinner and went to bed at 8.45pm, and had such a night. Slept splendidly, awakening only to realise the great joy of being in bed at night. This morning my breakfast was brought up to me, and now I am scribbling at a great rate. Captain Study leaves for London today, thence to Sydney. It seems that during his absence someone has jumped his claim at home, and he must depart at once. I have given him our address, and will send you his, so that you can make arrangements to meet, and ask him about things out here. He will be in London for about a week only, but he wishes to see you. I must now tear out my diary leaves and parcel them up for him. Au revoir. Thank you for listening to Dispatches from the Frontline. This project was directed by Naomi Edwards, read by Geraldine Cook-Defner. Original music and sound design by Zoltan Fecho, with producing support from Tristan Meacham and voice editing by Alex Defner. The creative team gratefully acknowledges the support of the Victorian government through the Community Support Fund and Public Record Office Victoria and Creative Victoria with Regional Arts Victoria through the Sustaining Creative Workers Initiative supported by all the Queen's men. We would like to thank the Selman family and in particular Meg Selman for allowing us to use Nanray's diary.